co-host, Lindsay Rowland. Today, we have Joe Cinelli with us. He's the executive director for AM Vets National Headquarters. Joe is a Marine combat veteran who served in both Iraq and Afghanistan. He is an advocate for military veterans and has served as a spokesman for larger organizations, including AM Vets, Disabled American Veterans, and the U.S. Marine Corps. He is also the first veteran of combat operations in both Afghanistan and Iraq to lead one of the nation's four largest veteran service organizations. Today, we are focusing in on the AM Vets motorcycle ride, Rolling to Remember, which is next weekend over Memorial Day in Washington, D.C. It is estimated 50,000 motorcyclists will be in D.C. for this event. This will be the second annual Rolling to Remember ride following a three-decade-long ride hosted by Rolling Thunder. The ride calls for further efforts to recover POWs, MIAs, as well as awareness for veteran suicide. Up until this past week, though, there was controversy over this legendary ride's staging lanes as the Department of Defense turned down AMVET's request to use the Pentagon parking lot, as had been done in prior years. The denial came very late in the game, and AM Vets has worked very hard in the past few weeks to circumvent this setback and drive on with Rolling to Remember, because that's what veterans do. They make things happen. Today, Joe is here to provide us with the most up-to-date logistical details and an inside look at who in D.C. was willing to make sure that this patriotic ride still occurred. Thank you, Joe, for being here today. Thanks, Lindsay. It's an honor to be on your show. Appreciate it. Let's get started. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work uh, in the veteran community as well as with AM Vets? Sure. So when I left the Marine Corps, I went into journalism to begin with, um, wanting to continue to serve. And when I left the Marine Corps, uh, it was because I was about to be sent out to work as a public relations kind of a marketing person for the Marine Corps in, on active duty. And I would have been stuck out there for about six years. And um, by the time I got out of there, I would have been probably an E7 and wouldn't be able to get my boots dirty again. And I joined the Marine Corps to get my boots dirty and all of that. So um, when I left, I, I also felt guilty, though, for leaving active duty because I was still a, you know able-bodied guy and all of that. Um, but so I went to journalism, really felt that I'd be able to you know, continue supporting in some way. Um, and I have a ton of respect for our, our working media and all of that. Um, but I did get disenchanted from the media, went to veterans advocacy um, and started off media relations for AMVETS, matter of fact. And then, uh, as you said, went over to DAV and worked for the Marine Corps as a civilian for a while and all those things. And, and then I really realized the importance of veterans organizations. Um, you know, there's some people who don't understand what we do, uh, but we have about 250,000 people who pay to be a member of our organization. And we have a process where they start at the grassroots levels or post level, and they determine what they think are most important priorities. And that works its way up to the state and it's voted on each level to make sure it really represents their opinions and their positions. And then that really becomes a mandate for us as an organization. And a couple of those you know, top priorities are um, continuing to search for our missing in action and to be able to uh, provide those families that kind of closure and uh, certainty and ensuring that we keep the promise of leaving no one behind. And then our, our top priority and has been for several years now, and uh, something that's personally touched me for sure is a suicide mentioned in the mental health crisis. Uh, so, you know, when, when uh, th this, 
when Rolling Thunder stopped that their event, it seemed like a natural fit for us. And uh, these are two really top pri- high priorities for us. Well, I guess that would be kind of a, gr- a good place to start is how did you, what, what are some of the more in-depth details of how you ended up taking over that ride? It wasn't our intent to begin with. Um, you know, it's something that we've seen and we've participated in over the years, uh, you know, as a, a motorcycle rider myself, um, I understood what it meant to a lot of people. I've participated in several of them. Um, and so when Rolling Thunder Inc., uh, the national arm of Rolling Thunder, made the announcement that 2019, and they made this announcement in 2018, that 2019 would be their last ride, um, you know, caught my attention and started trying to consume as much information about it as possible, find out why and see if there was a way we as an organization could help. Um, and they talked about their struggles with the Pentagon and uh, getting the permitting, uh, how expensive it was becoming and that their attendance was starting to dwindle as some of the, really the core group uh, that started was beginning to age to the point where they could cycles um, and things like that. And so I actually eventually had a meeting with the executive director and the president of Rolling Thunder, went up to Soul Diner, New Jersey and sat down with them. And we came in ready to offer to pay for the entire thing. Uh, We came in offering to provide professional support um, for the permitting process because I knew it would be an intricate process. And uh, we offered to have volunteers, whatever it took, Uh, but it was really clear that the leadership there was not interested in continuing to do it in Washington. And we just felt it was too important to allow it to stop. So we went out and we started seeking other organizations, see if they wanted to take it over. And then eventually it became pretty clear we'd have to lead or it was going to go away. So then we decided to try to find partners. Couldn't really find any partners either. And so eventually we decided the only way to keep this thing going was to take it on uh, as our own organ, as our own you know project. That's when I found out really how complicated it really is to have, you know, at times hundreds of thousands of people in one spot on one day and keeping everyone safe and providing all the services and the coordination you need to be able to do that. And the traditional route, which was starting in the Pentagon going over Memorial Bridge to the National Mall involves 10 different agencies um, in having to get buy-in and permits from each one of them and helping each one of them cover their extra costs um, became <laughs> much more complicated and expensive than I expect. And there's been several moments over the last two years where we understand, you know, we really get a real appreciation for why Rolling Thunder decided to drop it. Um, but the one thing that we haven't moved on is it's still too important to veterans advocacy to let it die. Yeah, definitely. And I was doing some research on the Rolling Thunder and I had read that they were trying to do um, the rides more locally, like across the U.S., not just focused in D.C. Do they still do any rides at all or did they completely stop doing? So um, I won't be real careful and clear. I don't speak for Rolling Thunder. Um, right. You don't. I'm part Correct. of that organization and um, my understanding. And so that was kind of my preface to saying my, my understanding is that you're going to have two local rides this year. One in New Jersey, which is where they've really been headquartered, and then one in um, Ohio, uh, which has a high concentration of veterans as a state. And um, also the Chamber of Commerce in Columbus and Harley-Davidson dealership stepped up and said, hey, this is going to be great for our local economy and for our local Harley sales. So they're trying to put one together. Um, But to date, and the pandemic certainly has been a big part of this, it hasn't been a success. 
um, you know, we, we reached out to a lot of Rolling Thunder chapters and, you know, figured out, we wanted to make sure that if we were going to let this demonstration run go away, that it was because people weren't interested, but we found very strong interest that we want to continue and that they did not want to do these local things. They, the only requirement in to join Rolling Thunder was that you would come to Washington DC every Memorial Day weekend and you would help. And that's, it was a, an organization that built 90 chapters nationwide based on one day, really. So oh, see, I didn't know that. I didn't know that and, part. And they end up doing some things in their local communities. I'm not trying to diminish what they do, you know, the rest of the year, but it's really about the demonstration run. And um, it's really clear talking to them. They want to be part of something much bigger than themselves. They want to be part of something huge. And this is it. I mean, this is the biggest, this is the world's biggest one day motorcycle event. It's also the biggest one day um, demonstration that happens in the United States annually. Um, you know, they've had, depending on who's counting, you know, the Washington Post has reported that there was 1.2 million people who participated in some way in 2019. So, you know, you get that many people together. It's not just those who are riding. A lot of people come into the parking lot to, to help. A lot of people are all over around the entire National Mall. Uh, some of them treat it like a parade. Um, you know, that's a, a term that the organizers in the past uh, didn't like and what we're trying to avoid as well, but it does have sort of that patriotic parade feeling now uh, as a spectator, those who are in it, you know, certainly know it's a demonstration though. Can you walk me through uh, what the last two weeks has looked like and kind of starting with like the process of um, filing for um, a permit from the Pentagon and kind of walk me through this, the steps that have occurred? Sure. So we, we, we have to go back a little bit further than two weeks. So a year ago, um, we filed our intent to obtain a permit with the Pentagon. So I'm talking a full 12 months ago. And then in July, we filed the formal per permit application. Um, and we understood at that time, of course, we're in the heart of the pandemic, all of those things that, you know, what was going to happen in May of 2021 was, you know, a complete unknown. But so we, you know, in our cover letter, we said, we want to work with you. You know, we know on our normal year, it's going to require a lot of coordination to make sure we're meeting their expectations. Um, but at this point, uh, at that point, we said, you know, we'd like to be able to have, please help us schedule a meeting in August or September. And then we'd like to do a meeting every other month uh, just so that we can, you know, understand what they need and want. And uh, we felt confident that we would be able to do whatever it took to meet their expectations. But throughout that entire process, the Pentagon would not res respond to us, wouldn't take calls. They'd have no communication with us. Um, and we didn't really get worried about that, I'd say, until uh, late January. Um, you know, at that point, we're four months away from a massive event. We've had our, we've built out our plan. Um, there were a lot of lessons learned uh, regarding COVID by then. So we built out a COVID safety plan, um, built in social um, distancing. Um, we, you know, masking certainly uh, we'd offered at that point to have a on-site vaccine uh, clinic. Um, we actually offered to do that four weeks and two weeks before so that, um, you know, anyone could come to that and be fully vaccinated by the time our event actually took place. All of those offers, everything was was ignored, um, never got a response to any of it. Um, so we started at that time looking at alternate sites. We had no choice. Right. If someone won't give you an answer, you have to 
kind of assume the answer is going to be no. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we started working with FedEx Field and with RFK Stadium and also Amazon. Uh, the Amazon lot was crossed off the list pretty quick. The other two both seemed to be feasible. They definitely had some of the drawbacks uh, being much further from the National Mall because our one commitment was we were going to get to the National Mall and go past the War Memorials, past the White House, past Congress. And then in early March, we received kind of out of the blue an email from the Pentagon saying your permit has been approved. Um, you know, you print it out, make sure you have it with you on the day of the event. And I knew that was a absurd oversimplification of it. Uh, so I actually he like told my team, we get together really quick on a call, said, I'm going to call the Pentagon to make sure this thing's legit because what it's saying here is, all systems go. And uh, keep in mind, during that time, we had already been working with those other nine agencies. I uh, said so 10 total. We'd been working with the other nine. They were all good with everything. Um, so I called the Pentagon and I called the office that issues permits. And the person who answered said, yes, that's correct. Your permit's been approved. And I said, okay, well, I know we still need some coordination. Can uh, you know? Can we schedule a call or you know a meeting? They said, yeah, we'll contact you next week and we'll set up a meeting. And but you guys are good to go. So for eight days, we operated under the premise that we had been approved. So we immediately called FedEx Field. We called RFK. Said, you know, we stopped our work with them. Said we're going to be at the Pentagon. We notified all those other agencies we're going to be at the Pentagon. We packed a lot of work in the eight days because we were already behind should have been. And on the eighth day, I get a call at like six o'clock at night from the same guy who I talked to eight days earlier. He says, "Uh, sorry, there was an error on our part. It hasn't been approved. So, uh, you know, don't tell anyone that's been approved. I'm like, I've already told everybody. (laughs) Right. Like that's a huge error. (laughs) We diverted all of our efforts to this now. And those are really valuable eight days and said, okay. And so then his boss called me the head of special events and the building manager for the Pentagon called me the next day and said, I understand you already told some people, I need you to call them all and tell them you don't have the permit. And I said, okay, I can do that. And throughout all of this, we're trying everything we can to be good partners on this responsible, responsive. Um, We understand it's a huge lift for them um, and we want to be respectful. And so I said, okay, absolutely. We'll do that. But when will, you know, (laughs) when can you tell me? And he, all you tell me is we'll tell you when we have a decision. I said, okay, that's fair. Uh, But can we have a meeting right away so we can understand your expectations because it's an un, you know, kind of an unknown world right now. We just, I know what you're thinking so we can address it. And he repeated, I'll tell you when we make a decision and that's it. Wow. Okay. And yeah, so that was my feeling like, well, what? that's not a very, <laughs> yeah, that it's as if you're telling me no again, maybe. Right. Or maybe you're just telling me, I don't know. It left us all guessing. So get the team together again. So we wait a couple of days and we're, we're kind of uh, waiting it out and we're getting so short on time. Again, we start working with the other venues. At that point FedEx field said, sorry, we can't do it now. You know, these eight days were too much of a loss for them. RFK pretty much said the same thing. Um, And they were, they have a different jurisdiction, of course, under the the District of Columbia. 
So we kind of got put in a holding pattern. Um, and then I, we'd already posted online and through all of all of our channels that the Pentagon had said yes. So I come back out and tell everybody, sorry, we don't have the Pentagon now. Um, you know, hopefully we're still going to get the Pentagon, but you know, one way or the other. And that's when the messages really started coming in. Well, we're coming anyway. We're coming to DC no matter what. And by our count, we had at least 20,000 people saying they're coming no matter what. And so I start trying to do the responsible thing. I start conveying that to law enforcement. I convey that to the Pentagon and said, look, you're going to have 20,000 people and they're not going to have anywhere to park. They're not going to have anywhere to get water, buy food, go to the bathroom. You know, the, the real basic life things that you need. And and this is about to be a logistical nightmare for you, D.C. So just Absolutely letting you know. Right. <laughs> Absolutely right. And it did. It, law enforcement, you know, maybe they figured it out a little bit earlier than they told me, but a couple of weeks later, they come back and they're like, yeah, we really need you to do this because we can't, we don't want to have to deal with 20,000 motorcycles with no place to go and just being all over the place. And they started, you know, people started talking about they were going to shut down 495 themselves and they were just going to stage out there because they weren't going to be silenced, you know, and, you know, this, we first amendment, right. All of these things. And so it was going to, could get ugly. And well, and, and not to cut you off, but like, you're the planner, like you, you want yeah. to do this. People probably even more want to do it because of COVID last year was limited and you guys are new to this. So Absolutely. you want to do all the planning on this. You're like, here we are, but if you're going to stop us and we can't actually execute it, like help me help you execute this. So it's not a mess. You're right. And I, so we really started ramping up our pressure on the Pentagon at that point. And so uh, I was on, you know, cable news networks nine times in a two week period. Um, we, we didn't turn to the media first, but it just kind of started happening. First thing we did is we turned to our members, said, we need you to call your senators, get your senators to call the Pentagon. And then we started having tons of conversations with senators and members of the house. And we started getting a lot of really positive support there. Uh, I talked to the secretary of the VA, um, said, I talked to the white house and, nothing moved anything. So we didn't get, still didn't get, we've still never really got anything from the Pentagon until two weeks ago, they called me at like 4.30 on a Friday afternoon, which um, you know, those in the media know that's, uh, that's where you dump bad news, right? <laughs> and so they, he calls me and tells me, the answer is no, you can't use the Pentagon this year because uh, they said, because of the substantial community spread in Arlington County, um, Statistics didn't back that up, though. I was going to say, I didn't, that didn't sound right. No. And because of their current health threat level uh, on the Pentagon Reservation, which, you know, uh, people outside the Pentagon have no idea what that really means. I don't know if the people at the Pentagon really know what that means. And um, the, the third one was uh, the, the nature of our event, meaning the large scale event in that they they didn't think we could do social distancing, but they never gave us a chance to show them how we could do social distancing. We did send them a plan. They never even acknowledged it. Uh, a motorcycle on average is about eight feet long. So if you're on your motorcycle or next to your motorcycle, you're already doing the social distancing. We were going to put six feet between each row of motorcycles. Um, at that time, masking was still a thing. Right? Uh -huh. <laughs> and we trained our staff to be COVID marshals. They were going to walk through, encourage masking, 
we bought 200,000 paper masks that we were going to, you know, that are you know, meet the right criteria and those out to anybody who need them. Um, you know, we had the, the plan out there and at this point now it's too late to do the COVID, uh, you know, vaccine clinics, but, um, bottom line was at that point, we just had, we had to move forward. Um, so we started engaging with RFK. RFK said they'd like to do it. The mayor's office, but they said, but we need a, we need permission from the mayor's office. The mayor's office said, you don't need our permission. It's a first amendment event. You can let them do it. So that was great. But then our mayor's office, I'm not going. Yeah. Good for them. So then the RFK came back and said, okay, mayor, we'll give that to us in writing then. And then the mayor's office like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Oh. <laughs> and so now we're, we're back into, okay, now what do we do? And so then we had to set an internal deadline. You know, it costs a lot of money and there's a lot of different vendors out there that you have to bring together in one day, you know, to bring in 200 porta johns to bring in 30 tents, you know, to bring in, you know, a hundred thousand bottles of water, you know, and, Five thousand pounds of ice, and you know, just some of the basic life stuff again. It's really this is really basic, but on such a huge scale, it becomes a big deal. I mean, I was a logistics officer, so I can feel yeah. you. Oh, I okay, even, you yeah. shit, shitters alone is huge because you have to have yeah. them cleaned. You have to have them located in the right. I mean, just those alone can. Good, and they're two hundred two hundred eighty nine dollars a piece. You know, for one day. So, oh wow! Okay. Um, you know, this this money adds up pretty quick too. And um, well, wait, just to clarify, is now AIM that's pays for all is paying pays for all this or we're paying for all of it. Now we've been able to get some support, um, but we would have if we were able to do this on the normal timeline, the sponsors would have been a lot more comfortable with things and would be more willing to make a donation or a sponsorship. Okay, that makes sense. But some pretty good ones for us, you know, had eventually had a cutoff. They had their own cutoff dates. If you don't have a site and the permit and everything by April 1st, you know, or, or March 1st, we're not going to be able to support because they have their own processes. They have to go through on approval. It, you know, everyone's got to have the attorneys look at everything first. And now we're getting to the point where the Port of Johns people are like, look, we've already put our schedule for that month. If we don't know how many we need, we're going to, it's going to inconvenience us. It's going to cost us more. We're going to have to double the price for you. And we've gone through that. I'm almost every single aspect of this now. So eventually what happened was we set an internal deadline of if we don't know this by this day, we're not going to be able to do this. So we set the deadline three days before and said, okay. Um, and we went to the police department, the police department said, okay, well, if RFK is a no go, then you'll stage in the streets. So we put out a, we built an entire new plan. Nobody slept for three days straight. We put out a plan and it was basically covering 80% of downtown DC. Um, starting over at third street independence in front of the Capitol and then coming back up third street and all the way up constitution, almost to the white house and all the side streets. Um, at this time, we're getting a lot of national media um, our website clicks, hotel reservations, they're all going through the roof. Uh, at this time, the law enforcement looking at their own analytics, they think that we're at least 100,000 bikes now. We started this off at the Pentagon thinking we'd have 20,000 bikes. Then as attention, we started our, raising our own expectations. Um, law enforcement's convinced there's going to be 100,000 motorcycles at this. Wow. With about 150,000 people because about half those bikes will have two people on them. 
um, all in one place in a five hour period. Uh, so, if, but then at two o'clock last Monday, we're at a big meeting with every law enforcement agency in the DC area. And now it's gone from 10 to like 30. Um, Cause now we're also touching all the other States because what happens on Sunday morning is we get tons of smaller groups, two, 3000, some are 500 and they gather at different dealerships, different veterans organizations. And then they all, come into our central staging area and the police have to escort them in from all over the place and de-conflict because you get 3000 bikes going down the road. It takes 15 minutes for them to go down. It can be very disruptive to traffic. And of course, if you're on a motorcycle, it can be very dangerous to the motorcyclist as well. So, you know, safely getting everyone to the staging area, getting them out of the staging area all becomes this big moving you know, puzzle. So, Two o'clock, we have the meeting. At 2.02, the head of Homeland Security and Emergency Response from D.C. comes running in, and she holds her phone up to the um, commander of the uh, Special Operations Division, and he reads it. He's like, okay, game changer. We're back in RFK. The mayor came through at the last minute and um, basically put in an order telling us that we could go to RFK. And so... Even then, it was still a little bit of a slow roll because we didn't have a contract with RFK. Uh, so that took about a day and a half. We had to have the attorneys look at that. And so in the end, we ended up with 15 days before the event to get everything done. So everything that we normally spend eight months on, we've got to get done in two weeks. Let me, let me, I just want to um, interject and ask you a quick question. Do you think that the mayor's office came through for you because, or if you don't want to speculate, that's fine as well. But if you would like to, um, do you think that has anything to do with the fact that like you were going to use her city as a huge staging lane in general? And she knew that if you she didn't move you somewhere else or put, give you another staging lanes, that her city was going to be a mess over Memorial Day weekend. Like, do you think that played into it or... I would assume that played into it. Um, so there was two different sets of messaging going to the mayor. Uh, I myself told the mayor, this is your opportunity to step up and really be a champion for veterans and their families. And be the hero, Mayor Bowser. Absolutely. absolutely. And I know the police department's message to the mayor was, mayor, this, is gonna, this could be a disaster. Let's do the right thing and avoid this disaster. And, you know, if it took the combination of those two or if it was just one of them, Whatever it is in the end, you know, the, the mayor made the, the decision we needed her to make. Um, and we're going to be at RFK and we'll be filling all those parking lots over there and uh, probably a little bit more than just the parking lots as well. It's going to close down but about 11 miles of road in D.C. for several hours. OK, yeah, that's pretty huge. And then also, I would assume I don't know. I know the COVID's. Um, Regulations are loosening a little bit in D.C., but I would also assume this is going to be a big weekend for tourism. Absolutely. Memorial Day is, you know, every hotel in D.C. at this point pretty much is booked. Um, you know, we've filled, I think, 11 different room blocks at 11 different hotels. Um, yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, we've we have a lot of people who live here, obviously. So we've really tried to go out of our way to um do everything we can not to disrupt those who live here um, to any, they're all going to be disrupted, but we've really tried to minimize it, especially the community is a large residential area right around RFK stadium. And you're going to hear bikes in there at 5. AM. Uh, you know, we're not opening the parking lot officially until 7. AM, but we know people will come start a couple hours before because they want a good spot in there, things like that. So we had a town hall meeting 
uh, this past Monday night with the community there. And we're really trying to be mindful and be good neighbors. And um, we want them to want us back in the future and to support what we're doing this year. Were you guys able to put any direct pressure on President Biden? That, um, so I've talked with, you know, we work with the White House on a regular basis, right? And um, last year, President Trump, when this thing was canceled, uh, in so to speak, it was, it was canceled last year. We announced it was canceled. You know, that was obviously just a couple months into the pandemic. Um, we still had about 5,000 who showed up in D.C. anyway. And, but we did a virtual ride all over the country. Uh, but President Trump invited the leadership of our organization to the White House. And mm-hmm. uh, so they said it was the first time ever motorcycle circled the South Lawn. I think we did five laps out there. And uh, the president came out and you know met with everybody and all of that. And so, um, you know, we've gone from the, the South Lawn to the curb now back to uh, <laughs> thankful for getting to RFK. Um, you know, but I have great relationship, I think, with the VA, the new VA secretary, um, we are members of this administration's COVID community core. You know, we encourage the vaccination. We try to provide accurate information about them. Um, you know, I think we've been really successful. A high level or high percentage of veterans have received the vaccine. Um, you know, we've we've worked with them on joining forces. These other you know positive initiatives. Um, so it was a little surprising. We have not been able to really hear anything back from the White House on this. I call people we're working with on these other things and they won't talk about this. And then the secretary didn't want to talk about this either. Well, yeah, you had mentioned in one of your articles. And I thought it was a really valid point um, that you had said, basically, you know, we were shot and I'm I'm. Um... I'm generalizing, but you basically were saying we were shot ambassadors for you to the veteran community. And that was okay for you, for us to do that for you. But now when we didn't even get a chance to give you our COVID plan, or we didn't even really get a direct answer from the Pentagon on why. And so like, kind of like how, how does that relationship work if it's not a give and take and you're not both, you know. Right. No, you're exactly right. And all it was, is we wanted a shot to give our plan to be heard and to hear what their expectations were, try to meet those. But, you know, at this point, I haven't really had time to be angry or anything like that. Um, it's been some disappointment, but it's been all systems forward. You know, that's the only direction we can go right now. Yeah. And I think that that's an important message too, just because you just, I could just tell from the articles and some of your comments that you were like, we're driving forward and we're going to figure this out. And like, we can talk about, you know, everything else later, but we're going to, we're going to make this happen. So I think that that was very apparent in in your planning. And as the news was following you, um, I do have, I do want to get back to like the logistics. So, okay. So you, as I did cut you off a little bit, so we're, you're going to, now you're, now you have the stadium locked down. So we have the stadium locked down. And then MPD, uh, Metropolitan Police Department, their Special Operations Division, has been fantastic. So our biggest fear about even getting RFK was, how do we get from RFK to the National Mall? Um, Because it's eight and a half miles, right? It doesn't seem like a big thing, but there's like a million people in that eight and a half miles in between. And, you know, anyone who's ever been to D.C. knows one of the things our city is famous for is traffic. And... There's no easy way to get there. There's two ways, the highway, which is one of the busiest highways in the country, or coming right through the residential area, which we didn't want to do. And it was very apparent immediately that MPD didn't want us to do that. Um, See that become a safety concerns, but certainly a public nuisance type of thing. So we knew the only way to get there was to close down 
part of 395 and 695. And so that's, they've agreed to do that. And matter of fact, part of Main Avenue Southwest as well. Uh, so we're going to, there's an access road on the back of the parking lot that's really not used. And you can even be in that parking lot and not even know it's over there. Um, so we're going to come out of there. Um, there's a new underpass under Pennsylvania Ave Bridge and then on to 395 and down Southwest uh, or Main Southwest and then up to Independence. And then we're, and then we're going to come up Independence, go behind the Lincoln Memorial against the normal flow of traffic. Now it's not just a normal flow of traffic, that traffic uh, intersection there was built specifically for the opposite direction. So we've got a tough turn, we've got to make up there uh, and then come up Constitution and past the White House and then turn right on Third Street and then back on Independence. But then we've got to cut it off before we the head catches the tail because this route, this thing's going to take five or six hours of nonstop running. Um, and so it's not like we're just, we can just put one lap on there. And so then everyone will turn left on the 14th and basically the main thing that'll be in front of you is 395. So everyone will disperse out of the city. At that point, they can circle back into the city around the Pentagon or uh, back toward RFK. But that's the full route. And that entire road will probably be closed. Some of them they're closing. They've got to kind of they say sanitizer. They're going to go through the road, make sure everything's clear, keep it clear, make sure there's no one parked to anyone that's parked illegally. And uh, they're going to be closing about 930 in the morning. And then we're probably closing the roads until 6 p.m. Uh, if you uh. think about the, those sections of the road, you live here, you know how busy those roads are. They're going to be closed for a long period of time. MPD says they don't think it's ever been 395 has ever been closed that long before. Well, I was looking at the route today and I was it's 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 ambitious. I will say that. But um, compared to what the route would have looked like with the Pentagon, is it is it a huge for, for like time wise? Is it a huge difference? It is a huge difference. Um, you know, so eight and a half miles again, it doesn't, that's how long it takes us to get to the route. That, that doesn't sound like a long time, but the bikes probably won't break 20 miles per hour the entire time because um, they're in there two at a time. So if you imagine two bikes going past per second, that means you know, exiting the parking lot alone um, you know, could take five hours of two at a time, one a second. So 120 bikes leaving a minute. You, know, you start doing that math. If we're at fifty thousand or more bikes, you know, we're, we're talking well into the early evening. Yeah, it'll be it'll definitely be interesting. I'm sure you guys will do. I'm sure you guys will make it happen, and it will be great. But it's definitely, yeah, it definitely looks like a like ambitious, and it's a challenge. But if you if you come out of the Pentagon, which by the way, we would have had more space in the Pentagon, so we could do more social distancing, mm-hmm. uh, be able to have more emergency services in there, those types of things. Um, all you do is you get off, you come out of the parking lot, you come up a small parkway, come over Memorial Bridge and you're in D.C. And the amount of roads that are closed, much easier for the rest, much less impactful than the rest of the community. Really, it only impacts half of Pentagon City. That's it. Well, do you think that the Pentagon's plan behind this was, and again, I'm, I'm speculating, but do you think the Pentagon's hope for this was that it was going to be canceled um, indefinitely so that they, you, they wouldn't have had to worry about it? I do. I, you know, I, I typically don't like to speculate as well, but um, I've really felt that the the tactic here was to wait us out. 
you know, and they almost did. They were almost successful in that. You know, keep us guessing as long as possible and keep us guessing to the point that it becomes logistically possible to move it. And um, if we had waited the full time that they made us wait and didn't start alternative planning prior to that, we wouldn't be able to get it done. You know, we had a skeleton plan for RFK and like I said, two other locations before we ever had the formal no, we'd already given up on the Pentagon at that point. Um, you know, if the congressional pressure on the Pentagon continued and the media's pressure, uh, probably two weeks after we'd already given up um, at that point where we wouldn't have gone back to the Pentagon, even if they'd said yes. Will you go back or will you go back to the Pentagon next year? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know the answer to that right now. Um, a few things. One, don't again. Another thing, I just don't have time to really think about it. Uh, mm-hmm. Second, I don't think we really want to go somewhere if we're not wanted. Um, and I'm not sure if that's or not. That's something we'll find out, um, you know, in the pretty near future. But after this year's event, um, second, they could make it very difficult for us by um, cost. You know, we are a nonprofit organization. Um, you know, we can do some specific fundraising around this. Uh, the limitations that we have in the Pentagon are extreme. Uh, we're not sell t-shirts, uh, pins. We're not allowed to thank sponsors in the parking lot. Um, you know, we have to pay twenty to thirty thousand dollars to clean the parking lot afterwards. We have to pay the police overtime for all of their police officers that they decide they need there you know we have no say on what their manpower would be that um there's their force protection by the way has been great with us these past two years as we were planning for last year's it didn't happen and then as we were playing um force security has been great um we know it's a again a lot of work for them but the cost just to the pentagon was about two hundred thousand dollars um for you know that can help a lot of veterans in a different way for sure um so we're making sure that we're not taking any money away from the services we're providing veterans by doing this. Um, so a lot of the items at this point, we're trying to get the 30 pallets of water donated, um, you know, 4,000 pounds of ice donated ice truck or, or a refrigeration truck. We're trying to do this as inexpensive as possible. It's still $200,000 just to the Pentagon. Um, if we, if we go back there, but we're going to take into account, you know, whether the city uh, freaks out after they lose 495 for, you know, nine hours or 395. I mean, I would love to be in the Pentagon when they're talking about it now, like now, oh, what should we, we just should have let him have the Pentagon parking lot. I mean, I would imagine that's what's going on, but you know, we, we don't know. So yeah, um, you're right. Yeah. Do you think uh, January 6th, uh, the insurrection, do you think that played into the Pentagon's decision? No official ever said that to us. Um, I wouldn't even say they, they, you know, hinted at it or anything like that. Um, I personally would hope that they wouldn't think that those who are coming to this demonstration, uh, you know, would uh, induce anything like that. You know, it was a despicable dark day in our, our history. Um, but I, you know, being more realistic, I'd, I would assume that, you know, at least some have considered that. Um, I will tell you, I myself, um, the street staging plan had a staging, like I said, right on Third Street, right at the bottom of Capitol Hill, um, you know, right between the mall and Capitol Hill. 
Um, I was worried about the optics of that. Um, you know, we've seen some people on social media kind of come at us like, oh, you're really just trying to you're building a Trojan horse so you guys can try to overthrow the government again. That's not who we are as an organization. I don't think that's who those who come to this demonstration are. Uh, you know how toxic social media can be behind their anonymous handles and all that. But, um, you know, so we were going to pack in 2,500 bikes right on 3rd Street. And they were all going to be people we knew and trusted. And not only would they not, I knew they wouldn't you know, try anything crazy, but they would, you know, they would stop anyone else from doing so. Um, but, you know, I think people who would think that are people who don't really know the mission of this. They don't understand who these people are, how much this demonstration means to them. Um, you know, it's a loud demonstration, uh, but it's, it's solemn. It's very moving and emotional. And you're going to see some, you know, some pretty uh, tough people will be breaking down crying in that parking lot that morning because of, you know, what this means to them. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, last year we used the, the tagline, continue the tradition, you know, but it is a hell of a tradition that's been built out here. It means so much to so many people. Um, and it's, you know, multi-generations, I, um, you know, we're doing it at this point now. If you could talk directly to the riders, uh, is there anything you want to say as far as like calming a, a little bit of their anxieties, if they're if they have any or any um, last minute stresses to kind of you want to you want to. Um, In what regard? Well, because like I would think like I was I, I did a couple of forums on my um, my podcast page, just that like some some riders had decided they just were not coming at all. Um and then I were other writers were like, oh, we're definitely going to be in D.C. And so I just wondered if there was if you had like a message to those that are kind of like on the fence to like reassure them that this is going to be a great event. Sure. I think, you know, I, I think they're going to find when they come that this is probably the best coordinated, most infrastructure built out um, by far the most coordinated um, event with the other agencies and the level of involvement that we've had with law enforcement and fire and rescue in you know, every jurisdiction. Um, you know, I think we've learned a lot um, from watching Rolling Thunder did in the past, um, which, and this is definitely not saying anything bad about Rolling Thunder. I have complete respect for them, but they definitely weren't, you know, the, their organization wasn't the size or the scope, uh, the AMVETS and the resources we're able to bring in, I think are, you know, going to make this a little different as far as what we can provide in the, in that parking lot. Um, we are very much committed to ensuring this is a nonpartisan demonstration. And that's, um, and I think it's something we as an organization have done very well at the past few years. Uh, and we had President Trump at our national convention two years ago. Um, he had been at the VFW's national convention the year before. And he, you know, I would say was pretty successful in turning that in, uh, the VFW's convention into a little bit of a partisan uh, rally for him. And the people aren't really different, um, you know, between VFW and AMVETS uh, and the VFW convention had probably 2000 people more than we did. Um, but we were really mindful of that. And VFW is a nonpartisan organization, uh, but bottom line is it's something we really focus on. We understand how important it is and we understand how counterproductive 
it would be for us to be partisan in any way. Um, you know, and you really haven't heard us criticizing, you know, President Biden over this. We talk in facts. We don't talk in opinions. Um, when we see the partisan conversations are being brought in, you know, we we let them know it's counterproductive. You know, bottom line is we whoever the you know, American people send to Washington, whichever offices offices we're working with them. We want them to be successful because if they're successful, then you know, veterans will be receiving what they earned and need. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you've done a really good job with that, keeping it, um, yeah, not attacking President Biden and just, you know, like I said before, just driving forward with the mission until it's accomplished. Um, I do want to touch on uh, one other thing, though, with the legislation with uh, I know that um, Daryl Issa has a bill, I believe it's called Let Veterans Honor the, Honor the Fallen Act. And that can you talk a little bit about that? I know I think that that is to put in place the permanent use of the Pentagon um, parking lot. And I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. And if that's kind of just something that uh, an idea that's being thrown around just in reaction to to this. So we, we've had no contact with um, the congressman's office. Uh, oh. um, we learned about this, you know, reading uh, probably the same newspapers or watching the same TV channels you did. Um, we're another thing we haven't put a lot of thought to, but I will say one thing that we would really like to see included in that legislation. If they're really, if he's serious about it, you know, um, is to waive the fees for us. Mm, that would be if, nice. Um, you know, if they're charging us $200,000, I don't know that we can do it at the Pentagon. Right. If at the same time, we can't have sponsors because they won't let us hang company X, Y, and Z's banners, you know, on our, our barricades type of thing um, or sell t-shirts is is mundane and as minuscule as, you know, selling t-shirts sounds, it's, seems to be a, you know, a punishment by pretty serious uh, consequences. If we were to try to do that at the Pentagon, we, again, as I said earlier, we want to be good partners. We want to follow what their rules are. We're going to do that even, uh, but that could mean not being able to afford it. So if his legislation could include that, um, but, you know, as a former um, staffer on Capitol Hill, you know, that means CBO has got to come in. <laughs> so, you know, if we start looking at cost, you know, it become could kill that bill. And we understand that. Um, I, I guess my point is telling the Pentagon they have to say yes to us doesn't really doesn't really answer the problem here. You know, I think that's fair. Um, and then what is what is uh, you have about a week left. So what does this next week look like for you guys as far as. Yes. Um, so um, before we ended last week, which was Sunday afternoon, um, we had the full you know, logistics plan out. Now, a lot of it's about messaging right now. Um, so we're really grateful for the opportunity to do this. But we want to let people know the messaging is what can they bring? What do they need to bring? What can they do there? What shouldn't they do there? What can we uh, expect? Um, we have graphics out there now of how to get to the parking lot staging area. Uh, a lot of people have asked where, where the route is. We've been able, you said you'd seen that, you know, we're putting that out there. Um, a lot of final coordination last three days, I'd say we've had 15, 16 new groups who have decided they're coming. And so these groups are each, you know, at least a few hundred bikes. And um, how do we get them safely? In, as I talked about earlier, those escorts and things like that. Um, 
Uh, we did get a, a curveball, another one thrown at us a couple of days ago. Um, an organization, uh, Christian Motorcycle Association, for the past 20 years has come to Rolling Thunder and provided free water to everyone in the parking lot. Uh, it's typically 90 degrees in this parking lot. When you're on asphalt for several hours, it can get pretty hot. Certainly, you need to continue hydrating. Um, while we were in the stage of thinking we were going to be uh, rallying in the street, um, that organization decided that they didn't feel safe enough. Um, and so they have pulled their support. And um, once we, I called them up, said, we're at RFK now. They said, well, sorry, we've already, and I'm not, don't mean to sound flippant at all about it. You know, I know it was a serious decision for them and they've been great for years and years, um, but they decided that it was too late for them at that point to be able to get everything together they needed. Uh, understand that, you know, we've seen that a ton and now we have to try to find um, or buy 50,000 bottles of water. And like I said, the ice and all of that stuff. And, um, you know, it's going to, it's going to bust our budget, but at the same time, uh, we know it's necessary and very much needed. And, um, we're, we're trying to figure it out. We, and to make it a little bit more challenging, Pepsi company has contract for RFK stadium. So we are technically by contract prohibited from handing out bottles of water that are not Aquafina, which is Pepsi's, um, and I'll say it, Pepsi company told us, well, we'll sell you the water for $9 a case. So, well, how about I go to any other store and buy a 30 pack of water for three bucks. So, uh, that's been interesting for us. <laughs> or, how, or how about you donate it? <laughs> so they, they did come back with an offer of a small portion of that donated, but, um, oh. but it would still cost us, you know, $20,000 for water that we didn't budget for. <laughs> so we're working through that. We'll see what happens, but um, we do encourage people to bring their own water, but we are, I promise we will have water and cold water at that av available. Um, we're going to have food trucks in there. So all that stuff's for purchase, of course. Uh, that's the only thing that you can really buy in the parking lot. Uh, we will have uh, shirts and uh, we're hoping a lot of people join the organization. So we have membership tents. Uh, we've got medical tents throughout. Um, uh, helmets are going to be required. Um, that is the law in, in, in DC. Um, we're asking that people do not bring weapons. Um, DC has some pretty strict firearm uh, rules to begin with. Uh, the police really don't want to see anything to escalate. They're not really worried about the violence itself. They're worried about um, you know, people may be getting concerned or uh, scared if they see a weapon from somebody um, just because of the current atmosphere, especially in Washington. We have people coming from all over the country, so they may not understand the uh, or know what the current atmosphere is here in D.C. Um, some motorcycles will use replica um, firearms as their handlebars and things like that, or they just might have them mounted as a decoration, uh, or maybe it's even as a, you know, a, memorial to somebody on their bike uh, we're asking that they don't bring that part of their bike with them that day um, you know I, I do believe you know, a lot of the law enforcement will be there our veterans themselves they seem to really believe in what we're doing I think they'll be um, you know very reasonable but at the same time this is their re I think their reasonable expectation and their request um, that's uh, no alcohol in the parking lot but uh, Bikers often know that alcohol in you know staging areas don't uh, 
you know, they can have a beer or whatever they want after the run, but we don't want that in the parking lot. And uh, if you're coming, we want you to come to RFK and uh, we're opening the gates to the parking lot at 7 a.m. and we'll roll out at noon. Um, but if you didn't get there at 7 a.m., you probably expect that's going to be a little while before you roll out. Uh, we, we expect the last bike to roll out, let's say maybe 5 p.m. Uh, it'll, it'll take that long. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we, we're going to have, hopefully have everything people need in there during that time. And then this is not just like this whole weekend is not just that day, right? Like there's a lot of other events that go along with this uh, weekend or. I would say typically there's a lot of events. So um, Saturday, normally we would have a stage on the national mall. Um, That's something that we're not able to do this year. Um, We probably could if now in the new, the new, um, you know, uh, restrictions have been lifted the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. For us, where we decided several months ago, even um, as we were hopeful to get everything approved, one of our initial concessions was we won't try to stage an in-person on um, you know rally. We're not going to build out a stage where people are going to naturally come and gather around, things like that. Um, but we do start things off Friday night at the wall, the veteran uh, Vietnam Veterans Memorial, 9 p.m. Uh, we'll have a wreath laying and a used to be called a candlelight vigil. We're still referring to it that way, but it's really glow sticks. Um, somebody started the grass on fire about 10 years ago, so we're not allowed to open flames there. Um, but we've got orange glow sticks for everybody. Um, it's it's also another really, um, you know, emotional, impactful evening. You know, uh, you know, a few thousand people standing there, you know, very quietly, solemnly holding glow sticks. Um, we'll have uh, Gold Star uh, Mother and uh, some leadership from the Veterans Advocacy World who will be laying a wreath at the middle of the wall. Uh, and then another wreath over at the Nurses Memorial up on top of the Veterans Memorial there. Um, that's kind of how we're kicking things off as everyone comes in on Saturday. It's kind of a, I'd say it's more of a party day. <laughs> um, myself and our team will actually be at, at RFK building out the parking lot. Um, but we have pretty much every dealership around every veterans organization around kind of having, having an open house, you know, so there's something for everybody all over the place on Saturday. It's also a great day to go visit the memorials yourself. Uh, visit Arlington, all those things. And then a uh, bright and early Sunday morning. All right. Sounds like a fun weekend. I will be there at 2100 on Friday night for that all event. Right. I have not been able to do that yet. So I'm excited. I will be there for that. Um, it sounds like a, a very memorable event. Um, all right. Is there anything else? I appreciate your time today. Is there any other details that you can think of that you want to share on that no. we missed? I, I don't think so, but if um, things change between now and then, you'll be able to find that at rollingtoremember.com. Uh, of course, we're on all the social media platforms too. Okay. Well, we support you so much here at Carrying Podcast, and I can't wait to watch. I will be watching it, you know, front row seat here in DC, but uh, I know it's going to be awesome. And good luck to you guys. And we're so happy that you're able to, um, to continue on and carry on with this. So thank you so much. Really appreciate that and appreciate the time today. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. (laughs) 